Welcome. Pull up a chair, fill your mug, get comfy, join us at the table for the most unusual tea party. Here's your host and graphologist, Teresa Abram. Welcome to Season 3 of A Most Unusual Tea Party where we use the letter T to unlock a person's story, giving us an unusual look into the mystery guests who join me at the table. I'm Teresa Abram, a handwriting analyst and graphologist, and if you are curious about decoding the messages of the subconscious mind, then pour yourself a mug of something yummy and join me at the table. This season of the podcast, I don't know my guests before they join me at the table. All I know is their name, what their handwriting looks like, and that my mug is on hand. But before I spill the tea on what I'm drinking, you're going to find out who our mystery guest is at the same time I do, and you're going to find out what their love language is. So without further ado, let's find out who our mystery guest is today. Well, good morning, everybody. Today on the Tea Party, we have Kiersey Basin. Welcome to the Tea Party, Kiersey. Thank you. It's a great opportunity to be here. Oh, I'm glad you see it that way. What was it about the handwriting analysis that made you feel like you want to have this done? For me, it's something I've never actually done before, but I've heard about it before. I've, I like to watch a lot of crime shows, and then in those shows, sometimes they do analyze handwriting to see if it matches up with some evidence. You know, they may take it from a witness or um, the person who is being prosecuted and try to match it up with some evidence or whatever. So I always thought that was interesting. How can you know about a person through their handwriting? And I just read a book recently on Marie Antoinette and the author of the book used handwriting. Yeah, to analyze a little bit about her, her characteristics and that obviously shifted throughout her lifetime. So he has samples of her handwriting when she first became queen or even before she became queen. And then also then towards the end of her life when she was imprisoned and she knew she was going to be guillotined. And it was really, really interesting uh, to have that analysis kind of embedded in, in her life story. That is fascinating. What was the name of that book? Oh, gosh, I'm so terrible. I read so many books. <laughs> I can't remember the exact title, but it was one. It was like a biography on, on Marie Antoinette. And it was it was written by an American. He I don't think he's actually a professor of Marie Antoinette. I think he is a professor of um, like French studies or French history or something like that. Well, that is really cool. And it is one of the really fascinating aspects of handwriting analysis is to see how somebody does change and evolve. You know, some of the really clear ones are like Hitler's as you watch his progression and just that decline into insanity. Insanity, right? Is there another word for it? I don't really think so. And just to see that. And another one is Richard Nixon as he went through his impeachment and the way that his signature changed is absolutely like fascinating to, you know, handwriting geeks like me. Well, thank you. So Kiersey, I know nothing about you and I am really, really curious to know what is it that you do? Well, I am an author. I wrote a book called Recharge, Find Joy take charge of your health. And that was really inspired by my own background and what happened to me. I used to be in the corporate world. And um, at that time, I was working for a multinational uh, company, a large one, and I had three roles at the same time. 
And first, I didn't think much of it. They were two were international. So that meant that for one, I was traveling about every three to four months. And then for the second one, I was traveling every week. And sometimes I was triple booked in three different countries. And I didn't think much of it. I just went along with it, thinking this is what I have to do for my career. And this is how I build my career. And fast forward about a couple of years later, I ended up collapsing. So one minute I'm talking to my friend and then the next thing I know I'm on the floor. So that was my wake up call because when I came to, I freaked out. I pretty much <laughs> realized this has got to stop. I really have to get a better handle on my life and obviously my health and turn my life around because this, the way I was working wasn't working for me. That sort of in a nutshell is what happened. And then I left the corporate world, became a certified health coach and worked with people on their health and stress was a big part of it. So that all of that inspired basically the makings of this book that I could write about what I had gone through a little bit and then give people some advice and hopefully some good strategies that they can use if they feel like they're in a similar situation of overwhelm, stress, and just feeling very depleted. So it, basically you're telling your story, giving advice, and yet also putting in practical strategies for somebody else who might relate to be able to implement in their lives? Yeah, absolutely. Kirsty, one thing that you said in there that absolutely popped out at me, and I feel like this is a message that so many people need to hear is when you said the way I was working was not working for me because so often we can get stuck in that mindset that we have to do this for our job. Even though everything else is going up in flames and there's chaos in our personal life, we, we get into that mindset of thinking we have to do this for our job and that somehow takes precedence. And I love that realization that how I'm doing this, it's actually not working for me. And that's more important. I think so too. And I definitely want to share that story with other people because I don't want anyone else to have to get to that point that I did. Because that, that's very scary. I mean, when I look back on it, I could have died if I had been driving a car, if I had been going down a set of stairs, who knows what could have happened to me. Luckily, I was at home at the time. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and just your body's way of saying enough, stop. Literally. Yeah, literally. It was like enough. This has got to stop. Well, that is really interesting. And I'm really sorry to hear that you had to go through that. But I love the place that you're ending up in, in that you're reaching out to help others to maybe stop and change before it gets to that point. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't always have to mean doing a whole overhaul. Uh, there's certainly things you can do day in and day out that's going to help. Yes. And that is a get, oh my goodness. I love what you're saying there because I totally agree with that. I think sometimes we set these goals that are super duper high, which is awesome, but we also have to be realistic and say, what can I actually do right now in this moment? And that's what makes it so simple. It's just really the little things make the big things. So it's starting out with what you can, with what you can do and then working on that, maybe even building on that. Depending where you're at in that whole continuum, sometimes it is simply, what can I do? before you can move on to what do I want to do? So you said the book was named was Recharge, Find Joy, and... Recharge, Find Joy, Boost Your Energy, Take Charge of Your Health. Right. And how can people find you? 
if they wanted to follow up or take a look at your book? Oh, well, they can go to the website, rechargethebook.com. Rechargethebook.com. Awesome. And if they have a question for you directly, do you accept emails or can they follow you on Instagram or anything like that? Yeah, sure. There is a contact form on my website. And then also I have an Instagram handle. I'm not very active on social media. Okay. Which is part of what I also try to teach people is I think it's important to have boundaries around social media. And I have pretty strict boundaries around what I do and how I interact. I don't completely disregard social media, but I just don't spend much time on it. Um, But if anyone does want to reach out even through uh, Instagram, which is really what I use. If I use it and it's just my name, Kirsi Basin. Right. Spelled K-I-R-S-I-B-H-A-S-I-N. Correct. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that. Now we're going to move into your handwriting analysis and, and, and take a look at what is your body saying on paper and see how it jives with how you view yourself. The most striking thing about your writing, Kirsi, that I saw is when I first looked at it, that very first moment that I opened it up, I actually thought that you were writing in block printing, that you were using all capitals to to print. And then as I looked closer, I realized, no, it isn't that, it is printing. So the emphasis in your writing is really on the downstroke. And that's what gives it that illusion of looking like block printing is because it really comes down and it's very blocky through the middle. You don't have a big lower zone and your upper zone does not extend very high above your middle zone letters. And of course, the middle zone letters are like all your vowels and the M's and the N's and the W's and that, those type of letters. So what that is a sign to me is that you actually don't want people to know a lot about your private life. You are somebody who says, no, there is a division between my public persona and what I do and my personal private life. You know, that's an interesting observation. I, I guess so. Maybe more than the average person. That's what you're saying. Yes. I guess it would depend on who I'm with. Sure. There are certain things that I am okay with sharing um, that I think is perfectly fine to share with the public. But then, and I think that would apply to basically everyone, you're not necessarily going to share all of the skeletons in your closet, so to speak. No, I'm going to correct you there. There are people who will let it all hang out. They have no problem sharing everything about their life. They are totally transparent. Okay. Even the skeletons in their closet. Yes. Some people embrace them. If you listen to the episode in season three, episode four with Sue, that is one lady who has come to terms with everything. And that's part of her story. And she owns it. She walks it and she owns it and her writing shows it. You're right that there are a lot of people who, you know, they're not going to let everything out. They're going to hold some back, but then there's also some people. And what yours is showing me is that you are selective in who you're going to let in. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I I would definitely, I can relate to that. Mm -hmm. I, I would say just from our conversation, there's that because you're saying you're not active on social media. You have boundaries there. Yes. Uh, and not so much about necessarily the private aspects. Well, of course, in a way, yes. But the reason why I'm not on social media a lot is for health reasons. And I don't think it's very healthy mentally, even physically to be on social media and get sucked into that rabbit hole because that can happen so easily. We can become addicted. It does things to our brain that I don't think are good at all. Um, it can do that. So 
that's the main reason why I'm not really on social media. Okay. Dana, and I agree with you. There are so many pitfalls to social media. And anybody who knows me as I too, am not very big on social media. And I think it's funny that we actually met over Facebook. I know, right? I don't actually do Facebook at all. I'm the only thing I go on there for is I have a few groups that I'm a part of and that's it. This is the only thing actually the group that we're a part of um, is the only one that I'm actually in. So I go in and out. I do it like five minutes a day. Yes. And then that's. So I think it's funny that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking about that. So I totally get what you're saying, because I really do believe that as a whole, we put too much emphasis on social media and it can really suck the life out of people. So I, I, I can understand that totally. And yet I also know for me too, I, I say that. And I also know as well inside part of me is because I actually don't want people to see too much of my personal life. I curate what I share with people. Right. It's not that I have skeletons in my closet, but at the same time, I don't want to have everything public because for me, I personally feel that then at that point, how is it private? How does it make it special for me any longer if I'm sharing everything? And I mean, I think it's the function of also what you may have experienced because I, I live in New York City. I want to also be on the safe side and not share too much because there are people who don't have good intentions that could harm you. And I've been in those situations personally. So I like in real life. So I, that's maybe a big reason why I don't let out a lot of information because I don't want to invite that into my life. If that makes sense. Absolutely. If anybody has listened to any of my, uh, I think it was in season one, the finale with Sheila Lowe, where we talked about that. Um, both Sheila and I have, a, you know, situations in our lives where it's like, yep, you don't need to let everybody know everything because there are crazies out there. So I absolutely understand where you're coming from. And I think it's interesting how all of the little pieces come together to sort of end up in a, in a space where it says, I'm not actually comfortable sharing everything about myself with everybody. Exactly. And it, it's not like, I think it's healthy. That's not a judgment to say this is bad. You need to share more. That's not it at all. I think it's healthy. Right. And I mean, for me, it's like I mentioned the safety. I just don't want to put myself into danger or even my family. Exactly. Thinking about it now, sure, I don't share everything. Mm -mm. Nope, you're going to be very careful about who you do share it with. Mm -hmm. It also shows us that whole, the printing, the way that you've done it and the emphasis on the downstroke. It also really shows us there's a strength of will and decisiveness. Yeah, I think my husband would definitely say yes to that. It's certainly present there because the reason why your printing looked like block printing is the emphasis on the downstroke. But the other part of that, is that there's a certain fullness that occurs on the bottom part of your letters. And the top part is kind of squished. So what we have is a lot more space in the bottom part. And then the top part is kind of squished together. It's a little bit condensed. And so again, that just shows us there really is that decisiveness. You've got strength of will. It also shows us that taking action and social interactions with those that are in your circle is going to take precedence over a lot of abstract thinking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I see that. You know, when I see something like this, I would say you're not one to go into three. When you were talking about your book, you said, you know, there's, there's strategies there. It's not just theory. It's this is how you act on it. And that's what we see in your writing here is that fullness in the bottom where it breathes a little bit. And then it's very condensed through the top. And I'd say that's pretty much how I think I lead my own life. And I always tell my husband, this all about action more than words. I mean, words are great, 
you want to state an intention, but then following through on that is even better. Yeah, exactly. You just took away my punchline because I was just going to say, it also tells me very specifically that words of affirmation are not your love language. (laughs) That is not going to be your, your thing at all. Another thing about your handwriting that's rather striking is that your letters are fairly narrow and close together. So even though you're printing in places, your letters still actually touch and connect. And what that shows me is that you do like things to go smoothly. And if things don't go according to plan, you can get a little bit, well, I'm going to put it in as well, because you can get a little bit with your T's, we've got what's called a temper tick. So if things don't always go according to plan, you might get a little hot under the collar and you get a little critical and you'll let people know that you're not happy in that moment. Yeah, I I can, um, I can relate to that too. I think um, that's particularly shows up if I'm, if I'm interacting with customer service in a company, I think can have been in a similar situation where, you know, you expect to get through, you expect to have everything handled and then get an outcome, the outcome you're looking for, whether that's a refund or just an answer to a question or them to resolve the shipping or whatever it could be, it rarely ever goes smoothly. Where I know I definitely need to take a deep breath sometimes and be more patient and understand that definitely that as much as you would love for something that seems to be so streamlined to go smoothly, it doesn't always go that way. Such a great way to put it, right? And I mean, anger and a temper, that's something that it's pretty innate in all of us. So you look at babies when their diapers are, are dirty. I mean, they let you know that this is not okay. So it's certainly something that we're born with and it's innate. And I like how you said that it's something that we look at and we have a choice in how, how much of that do we let out and how much do we let it rule our life. It's ultimately a choice what you want to let out. Now, we look at your T's specifically. I did mention the little, the temper ticks that they occur on your T's and they also occur on your uh, H's, often at the top and at the bottom and your L's. But the other thing I want to mention about your T's is your T bars. And I just, I, I always think it's so interesting when I'm listening to people introduce themselves when you're talking and I often am looking at the samples. So you know, just comparing what you're saying, does it match what I'm seeing? And what was really fascinating about it is you were talking about how it's, you know, what can I do right now? It's the little steps that count towards, you know, the bigger goal. It's what can you do right now? That's so important. And your T-bars completely back you up that you not only say that and teach it, you live it. Because your T-bars here are often a little bit lower than the top's of your middle zones. They're either just a little bit lower or they end up pretty much right on par. And that just shows us that you are keeping it very practical, very down to earth. You are looking at what needs to be done right now and you will take that next step. I can see that. And it is quite striking. And you know, the one thing when I see something like that is it's actually, it wouldn't hurt you to perhaps raise a few T-bars. Set that, you know, make sure you're looking a little bit in advance as well, something that does challenge you and does inspire you. Um, and it could be that when you were writing your book, you might have had higher T bars because that's a big challenge. That's a really big goal that you're reaching for. Oh, yeah. So if we were to look at your handwriting during that period, there's a good chance that some of these T bar crossings would have been higher. 
And so right now it looks like maybe you don't have that big goal in place. And that might be something that you just take a look at and say, hmm, what do I want all these little steps to actually add up to? Well, you know, that's an interesting observation again. I, in the past year, especially now during COVID, I've changed my own thinking around goals and I don't really, and this may sound very bizarre, I don't really have big lofty goals. I go with life on a day-to-day basis and I just want to see, okay, well, what should I be doing now? So I just follow my intuition more than anything else than having necessarily like a big goal written down on paper and then breaking it down into action steps or, or whatever. Um, I just really take it on a day-by-day basis. That is definitely what you have going on is the day-to-day. And like I said, day-to-day is awesome because you know you're taking care of everything as it comes along. And yet sometimes we need something to inspire us too. Oh, I agree. I definitely agree. I think that certainly in living like this, you can still have something that becomes a bigger, bigger than one day type of event or action. But that just means you're going to be working towards it every single day. That's true. Or maybe not every day, but on a frequent basis. So that's how I look at it too. It's not something that's going to be so far off into the future. Yes, maybe the outcome will be, but you're still working towards it. That's awesome. And I just love how you own that. And I, I think that's amazing and it's wonderful. And I think we often, as a society in whole, because there's so many things that we can do, sometimes we get distracted by the fact that we actually have to be a little bit selective. Just because we can do it doesn't mean we should be doing it or have to be doing it. All right. So that's your teas and your tea bar, which is totally in line with your philosophy in life. Now, for this season, we're also taking a look at love languages. And I did mention earlier that you are definitely not words of affirmation. I mean, it's okay. You don't mind hearing it, but it's not really and truly what's going to make you feel the most loved. For you, when I look at your your handwriting sample, what's really quite distinctive and, and really leads me into one particular love language, although I think two might be fairly close together for you, But the one that I'm going to go with is acts of service because you have no entanglement of your lines. Your eye dots are almost always perfectly placed above when they're there. Sometimes they're not there at all, but when you do put them in there, they're almost precisely placed above your eye stem. There is a consistency to your writing, except when we're doing the handwriting itself, which I'm not really looking at right now. But with your printing, it's consistent. What you're doing at the beginning, you're doing at the end. There's no entanglement. Your margins are straight. That regularity shows somebody who's logical, who's practical, who's organized. And those are all signs of somebody who likes acts of service. You like it when somebody helps you out and shoulders the burden. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's actually pretty even or very pretty close to the second one, but yes, access service is 30%. And I would say the other one would be quality time. Yes, you're right. That's 27%. And when I looked at it, I thought they were probably fairly close. Definitely not words of affirmation. Definitely not the physical touch. That's not what's going to make you feel most loved. Not that, again, it's not that, you know, you're adverse to it or you don't want it. It's just, that's not the one that will really make you feel uncertain and off balance if you're not receiving it. Right. Yeah, I can see that. In the past, it was interesting. I took this quiz and I got time as a top love language. And then it was actually gifts, giving gifts. And I don't know, the way I look at it is to me, a gift can also be 
someone helping out or doing something considerate. To me, active service kind of blends in with that. Does for sure. And also the other part there is when you're receiving gifts, it can even be the gift of presence. Right. It's just knowing that somebody's got your back, knowing that somebody is there to walk through life with you. It's that gift of presence. So even if they're not actually doing something, just knowing that they're there is important. It's interesting how it's changed into acts of service is now the dominant one where really you want them still there. It's still that presence. They have to be there in order to do acts of service, right? And it's that receiving a gift of an actual physical act that they're taking care of. So beautiful. So you said you had taken it before. Are you surprised that it has turned into acts of service and quality time? I was a little surprised because, well, even when I first took it, getting gifts was surprising. I didn't think it would be so high or one of my love languages. But now I think it makes more sense with acts of service, even though to me it's still kind of blends in with those gifts. Yeah. Um, a gift is not necessarily something material. It can be something sort of more abstract or intangible. Yes, I agree. And that's, I think, one thing people do struggle with sometimes is when they do have receiving gifts as a love language, they think immediately of material. And it's like, there's so many other ways. There's the gift of presence. There's the gift of spirituality. There's the gift of time. And there are other ways of that aren't actual materialistic items. It is an interesting evolution. But definitely right now, I mean, you are very clear that that uh, receiving gifts, it's actually, you don't need that part. When was the last time that you took the quiz? That's a good question, probably. I, I actually took it with my husband at the time, so it was probably five years ago, maybe six. Do you have children? Yeah, you have children? Um, no, we don't, actually. My, I have a furball child, but not like a fur baby. Interesting, because I, I know that, you know, it's, it just changes, and it's sometimes there's a major life event that happens, and that's what really shifts it. And oftentimes having children, all of a sudden our love languages really get shifted around. All right. So the one thing we have left is to spot the lies, someplace where you are trying to actually deceive me, Kiersey. Your printing, which almost looks like block printing, doesn't reveal a lot. It is about keeping, you know, playing the cards close to your chest. So trying to find your deception was a little bit tricky. However, what I'm going to say is there is one striking anomaly in your handwriting that really popped out. When you wrote, I've had her now for five years, the why in years, that is the only time that you actually have it resting on the baseline with the stem dropping below. Every other time you're, you raise it slightly so that bucket of the why is above the baseline and you bring the stem down so that it actually touches the baseline. So you kind of raise the why a little bit so it doesn't drop below the baseline. In that years, it's the only one that drops. So I am going to say that right there, you're either thinking of the deception or you've had her for some period of time that is not five years. That's true. Got it right on the money. Awesome. So how <laughs> long have you had your fur baby for? Four years. Oh, lovely. And what's her name? Her name's Karina. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. During our chat, I've been drinking some peppermint tea because I've got a little scratchy throat going on. So I've had peppermint tea in my mug. What's been in your mug? Uh, it's pretty boring. I just have some water right now. A lot of water. That's all right. There's nothing boring about water. We need it to live. So good for you. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. 
If you're wanting to hear more from Teresa and her guests, be sure to subscribe on the platform of your choice and follow her on Instagram at handwriting underscore PI. Did you know that the best compliment you can give me is a referral to someone else? Please help spread the word about a most unusual tea party and my guest and share it with your network or someone who might find it interesting. If you enjoyed the show and want to know more about graphology and what Teresa is doing, be sure to head over to the website at www.handwritingpi.ca slash hashtag newsletter and subscribe to Handwriting PI's newsletter. You'll get early notice of future guests on the podcast. You'll see full samples of the handwriting and get more tips for analyzing handwriting on your own. And if you have it in your heart, leave a tip in the tip jar found at www.handwritingpi.ca. The Tea Party is professionally edited by the amazingly talented Casey Broda. If you would like to contact her or inquire about her services, look for at Casey Broda on Instagram. That's at C-A-S-E-Y-B-R-O-D-A. And finally, if you want to have an audio handwriting analysis done, like you hear here on the show, send us an email at handwritingpi at gmail.com asking for information about our AHA program. Thanks for listening.